Hi, and welcome back to Speak, where I, Crystal Danbury, Elisa Lynch, and a wicked guest called Ray, she's going to introduce herself in a minute, are coming to actually answer the question um, from an audience member, which is, hey, so as usual, this is an honest learning open space. We don't edit. This is a real conversation between three people, and um, we'll get stuck right in. So, Ray, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, thanks for that. Um, so yeah, I'm Renuka Sony. I go by Ray. I'm currently the Head of Safety, Health and Safety for Delivery at East West Rail. I've uh, just been there for over three months now. Prior to that, worked with the likes of TfL, High Speed 2 and Crossrail. And there's a reason I'm mentioning that because the question that I'd raised was about changing, you know, how do we change sectors within the health and safety so you stay within health and safety but move between the different industries and sectors and I find it fascinating that despite my many years now in construction I still don't see myself as a specialist but I absolutely love construction um who doesn't <laughs> I find it interesting the range of responses I get when I talk to different bits of construction so for example house builders residentials um, will look at me and go, you don't have enough building experience. You don't understand construction. And this is when I have just come off a programme that's built, you know, a £500 million box of Farringdon Station yeah. or led on just shy of £600 million worth of enabling works, which included exhumations and demolitions and utilities works. And you, like, don't, and you don't have experience. No, no. I'll get it, man. <laughs> What am I mean? I genuinely don't get it. And then you've got the other extreme, which is the, you know, if I wanted to go into retail or if I want to, and I have again tried this, if I want to go into events, oh yeah, but you don't have event experience. So sorry. You know, you brilliant CV, great experience, but you haven't got event experience. You you just know they're not. Or the and I don't get it because my fundamental point that I make is how many health and safety at work acts are there? Mm. When was it written? 1974. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it literally applies to all of us. You know, yes, there are industry specifics. I get that. That there will, you know, food has its specifics. You've got CDM, you've got various other things. The broad breadth of health and safety remains the same regardless of where you go. We have work at height, we have um force from heights and all, we have manual handling, we have people plant, we have not I I don't get it. Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, the first thing that's 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 on my mind is obviously I am a multi-sector person, yes. so I really love this topic. But interestingly, Elisa, you are construction background. Does it feel mm -hmm. the same to you? Does it? You've got that same experience of being t like trying to yeah. bust out of the box. Yeah, I um specifically remember going for an interview for my first construction safety role having come from civil works so right. roads all that jazz utilities and then like but you don't have construction experience i'm like i have fucking steel toe cap boots right okay <laughs> they're covered in shit i've done this i like it's okay. i went this way and you're going that way so i can yeah just stick a tower crane on it let's go like whatever like it's just you're just doing the same thing on top of yourself upwards. <laughs> yeah. You know? 
Yeah. Like it's it's what? Like it's hard? Like come on. And it's just risk. It's just safety and it's just people yeah. doing different shit. Yes. So yeah. And with some residential builders, it's doing the same. I mean, I remember going to a a new build estate. It wasn't a housing estate, but new build estate. And I remember walking through it and going, my God, I've been transported into Legoland. Mm. Every single house was identical. Yeah. And there was a part of my brain that just went, oh, my God, how how boring must this be? Because after you've built the first couple, you kind of should have worked out all the kinks and the risks and the challenges. Boring. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, right, I think so. But <laughs> no, no. But but is that complacency and boredom? I mean, I know this is look. It's topic. there's definitely I would agree. There's parts of construction that it is very samey. Yeah. Um, and actually, that's what will drive you to the brink because you're like Jesus fucking Christ we're still getting this stuff wrong we're still like and they are building the same building over and over again yeah but I think especially with construction and construction outfits they are so wrapped up in their own importance it's like oh yeah but it's different for us yeah. ah yeah but nobody can do it like we do it yeah. or like you just wouldn't get it you're like, oh, yeah. Jesus Christ lads it's not the Taj Mahal you're building yeah because that might actually be interesting it's a housing estate. I think that's so. What's one of the things I wrote down? So I always write down a couple of bullet points myself of what I think of the question, like what springs to mind. And um, I literally have got here every industry is special in inverted commas because everywhere I have ever worked, and because I have changed sectors, it, when I worked in nuclear, we're special. You know, we're very special. It's so high risk. It's so special. And then I went to rail and it was like, oh, it's so, spe- it's, you know, you think nuclear was difficult. Rail is so difficult. You'll yeah. never get acronyms like like rail. And then you go into transport. It's just so different, though, to, <laughs> right, like, you were on rails before. This is the road now. And then you go into <laughs> telecoms and they're like, yeah, but it's it's so different because our people are now, yes, okay, they are driving vans on roads, but they're now going up poles, which is very different to ladders and things. So you wouldn't understand and then you go and you go, and you, but you know what's the same thing is safety is not difficult. No. Nope. And anyone that's making it a dark art is trying to keep their job safe. Simple as that. We do one thing. We identify hazards <laughs> and then we either remove them or we reduce the impact. Simples. That's it. It's not difficult. And those hazards can be a pole, a vehicle, you know, a moving train in a depot, it can be a forklift, it can be whatever. All we're doing is using our expertise to say how best do we manage this hazard and how best do we manage down the likelihood or severity. That's it. And I think you're the sort of this big open question about how do you switch industries and get away from the, but we're special. And then when you're trying to break into that other industry, they're like, but we're special and you won't understand. I'm I'm like you sort of said it, Elisa. It's like so you're humans and you're dealing with <laughs> with what? You're dealing with what? A machinery of some sort, probably a vehicle of some sort, loads of humans making their own decisions, a varying degrees of competency and hierarchy. What really makes a difference is culture. Are you making are you hiring competent people? Are you supervising them effectively? And are you treating them like human beings and giving them everything they need to succeed? Well, cool. Okay, should we do some work then? Um, it just doesn't feel complicated because no. 
safety is the same no matter where you work it's the industries that feel that they're special I am um, one of one of my favorite things that I did in uh, pre-covid was I successfully organized through industry colleagues a bit of an away day so it was the HS2 my area south health and safety team client side HS2 with some BBC colleagues and Royal Opera House colleagues nice um, and yeah and Fiona's awesome so she facilitated this at the BBC and part of the reason was because she's like look you know we've been asked by the Royal Opera House Dominique he's like would you mind I said no no, no awesome let's get us all in a room and one of the first exercises we did of the day we had three big sort of a two sheets of paper or whatever and we said don't go to your own company but go to the others and write down what risks and challenges you think they have and straight away after the first 15 minutes it was that eye-opener of oh my god we've all got work at height and we've all got noise and we've yeah. all got people plant and we've all got manual handling and they're like no <laughs> who'd have thought yeah. you know and uh, actually my one, one of my bosses at the time walked away and said yeah I get it now there's no reason why someone from the BBC couldn't apply to do my job yeah. or I can't apply to do theirs yeah that to me was a win yeah I, I think the sectors win like when they stop being so precious and I have there's three jobs now the last three jobs that I've um I've had I've been told I was the wild card make of that whatever you will and then <clears throat> go in do a good job talk about risk get the job right um and oh I've lost my train of thought you were talking about the wild card and the sectors yeah because you were saying about there's no reason somebody couldn't apply for my job yeah from HS2 to BBC and BBC to HS2 oh who even knows I'm lost now on the Do you know what anyone... I'm thinking is you were the wild card were you the wild card based on your CV so they look at the CV go great CV but you don't have our industry experience but you're a wild card so we'll talk to you and then you crystal the fuck out of it and you're like oh yes that's it and yes that's exactly it and I feel like the sector wins because then when you go into to the new sector and they're struggling over something they've been struggling with for decades like particular type of risk you can say oh and let's just say telecoms like 30,000 engineers in vans rolling around the country oh god we're really going to have to look at fatigue ah so have you ever heard of hidden from the rail industry like they had a very big catastrophe they learned lots of lessons about fatigue have you then you know that all that stuff around hidden in the rail industry maybe look at fatigue and the hsc's yeah. fatigue index let me bring that over here that you and you've been struggling with this topic for ages but th- this already been done over here exactly. ages ago and we've done so much learning and not only have gone through one iteration of what a good fatigue index looks like several in fact so let me bring the learning. So I think the sectors win the minute the sectors open up because the minute it's an echo chamber, right? I'll only get a retail person and well, guess what? If you're if retail is struggling with one problem and you're only hiring retail people, you're gonna continue. This to, to me, this is why when people talk about diversity personally, yeah. for me, the one bit of diversity that I'm super invested in is in diversity of thought. Yeah. I want to hire people from theme parks from airlines from you know all the different sectors and it's the stuff going back to that is I suppose my USP and I want to hopefully lead that legacy as my IOSH branch is being how many site visits can I organize that are in different industries Mm. 
how do I get, you know, when I first started doing this and when we, when I first was opening the doors to TFL construction sites, to Crossrail construction sites, and people were going, I never in my wildest dreams thought I'd ever be able to come and see a construction site. You know, I've worked in the industry, I've worked in health and safety for 10, 15, 20 years, but that's a closed door. And it's like, why? Mm. So that concept of, okay, you don't have to have your own, you know, basically as a site, we will provide you everything. You tell us what your sizes are. Here's the date and time, turn up, and we will give you your PPE, we'll give you a briefing, and we'll take you around. And people were going, I remember someone else in theatre saying, my God, this is this is, this is is the same as what we do. Yeah. It's like, you've got blokes that are running around to a deadline. We've got to get a show on time. You've got to get a concrete pool done on time. Your guys don't listen. They know how to do it best. They're not really interested in safety, even though they don't want to hurt themselves. They've got other problems because everything else is going on. We've got a show to put on. You've got, to, and it's like it. There was that light bulb moment. It's all the same. It's all the same, and I think there's an element of. I f- I feel this conversation is really good. I also feel like I've often done that we're preaching to the converted. Yeah, it's it's the recruiters. It's the people that can do the recruiting that need to change their mindset and go yeah okay you've worked in a high-risk industry and I'm in a high-risk industry so come and talk to me or do you know what I'm in a low-risk industry so I've mollycoddled my people or I've only ever done this so come and teach me or show me what you can bring from your sector yeah well like all these recruiters and all these people spruiking shit on LinkedIn about transferable skills oh it's like yeah we all yeah we have the transferable skills let's let's go but they don't like to transfer like let's let's do that then but there's a lot of talk about it but not a lot of doing anything there's not like a lot of doing at all and i've 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 also been interested in some large organizations mainly consultancies that i know individuals in at a certain senior level and they sort of encourage me to apply for a certain role and they're like oh sorry your cv didn't get up to scratch you know i know you can do the job i know you'd be brilliant in the role i know you've got all the right skills you are the perfect person for this job but i couldn't get your cv past the first sip it's like then yeah. then what you're not doing me any fucking favors then are you don't like but to me if they did do me a favor they highlighted to me that that business only looks at the yeah. pamphlet they're judging the book by its cover. And if that's all you're judging me on, then do you know what? That's not the organisation you don't have the values that I want to be with. Mm, yeah. So, this is so interesting, to, especially as somebody that has hired a lot of people and how I then have to say safe health and safety professionals. And we know that I love the profession uh, and I love good people and I love them coming from really diverse backgrounds. But the CV is critical. And 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 this is from a hiring manager, like brutally critical that you show me in the CV that you've read the job description and you get it, like you understand it and you want it. Yeah. But in there can really highlight in your CV how you can do the things in it. That's why somebody from the British Army <laughs> who's doing food safety in the field for soldiers um, gets into a pack for retail because now I get it. Right, you really shown me on this incredible CV that you are high caliber, but also you can adapt to sort of any environment and circumstances oh, stuff. That I get completely, yeah. and I I completely get that. My feedback was less; it, it didn't contain enough management jargon. 
Okay. Yeah. Because like I, your CV can be unbelievable. Like your CV can be smashy. Like I write a damn good CV. Yeah. I'm not getting a job in aviation anytime soon. I'm and you know what? I write, I don't write the greatest of CV. Like where CV is, there's content in it, but you know the flat, like I've seen some beautiful CVs. I'm like, I know you paid for this template. It's stunning. And <laughs> it's definitely caught my attention. My CV is pretty dry in terms of its format. Content. Yeah smashy right oh, yeah my, I've not, i haven't got any fancy like mine's yeah. just done on my own word but like microsoft word but it's it's pretty fucking good well i i think this is so the really interesting thing i wrote i wrote down and it's one of those things at the end when we talk about what do we think will make a difference and i think the neutralizing the cv i found always really helpful and deciding I don't want to be a construction specialist. I don't want to be a retail specialist. I want to yes. be a risk specialist or a culture specialist, right? Is it change and culture or is mm. it risk? And actually, if I talk to you about those, because you either want to do one or both of those things. Yes. Right? You want me to manage your risk and change the culture or there's a specific in there. Um, But I think you said something really interesting there. I had a very, very similar call when I was trying to break into that when the first job came up at um, OpenReach mm. and it was for BT's group, um, head of group health and safety, whether in BT rather than the OpenReach job. And I put my CV in and I got the same call, which was like, I'm so sorry. You know, it just doesn't meet the caliber of the other candidates, blah, blah, blah. And I hung up the phone and I made a bit of a big call. Well, I think I've said this on another podcast. I phoned the agency back and said, I don't take it. I'm not accepting that <laughs> anybody else in that pack is of higher caliber or exceeds me to the point that you won't even put me in a pack yeah and they argue with me on that genuinely when you talk about advocate for yourself I argued and Jonathan if you're listening I love that you took this challenge very well okay. um I said I'm not having it I want you to strip out the personal information of one of these incredible CVs that I don't marry up to mm. and I want you to send me so I can look at it and go ah now I see like you you know I am here, they are there. And he stripped out all personal information. He gave you the sort of format and just some of the headlines. It was just like, you know, this is this is what I'm talking about. It, there was no reference to industry or anything, but it was a good CV. Mm. And I phoned them and said, great, I have everything and more that's in this. This is format. Give me 24 hours and I will write the same CV, but written in the same way. Yeah. And tell me if you feel differently about my CV. Anyway, sent in and this wicked guy called Jonathan, who I then would only work with him because he took the challenge. It's really important for me. And he phoned me and was just like, wow, yeah, totally. I would have overlooked completely what you had done if it wasn't written in a specific way. It went in the pile and it went in as the wild card. And I was told this and they didn't give me the BT job because they then gave me the biggest job in group. They called me back about 12 weeks later and offered me the director of safety for OpenReach, which is the biggest job in group um, with like a 92 million pound budget, all the lovely things. And you're like, great, I've busted through into telecoms. Genuinely, at the first glance of an agent looking at my dry CV, I could, I was not even worthy of being in the room. And yet I Ooh. got not just that job, but the better one. Yeah. So I think some of it is advocating for yourself. And if you know you can do that job, and this goes to any one of our listeners listening, 
if you have had a call from an agent and they're saying really sorry and you know full well you can do that job advocate right so much so so, this is where the whole imposter syndrome and not advocating and sitting taking a back seat and stuff and I look back and I suppose for me I'm I love what I do I I love being around you know part of um on, on one of my jobs at some point we're gonna we were gonna have a 350 ton crane we're now gonna have a 750 ton crane amazing like, exactly it's like I don't need to be there but please let me know because I want to come and see the crane you know I'm it's been a few years since I went up my first tower crane at um, Farringdon and I want to go back up one yeah. I don't ever <laughs> want to go up one of those fucking things again oh <laughs> sick I told the guys and it was my first proper site that I wanted to go up and it it started off with a dull grey day like it has been here today and then by after lunch the sun just came out and the guys were like well look you wanted to go why don't you go so I was like yeah all right why don't got halfway and I am literally pooping my pants now but all the guys and they weren't to be fair they were genuinely all looking out for me because we had you know I built that relationship and it was my site nice so they were all kind of just looking up and going, right, is she all right? And, and in my head, I was like, I can't go back down now. <laughs> I just can't go back. <laughs> up I went. And then what was worse was I got to the top and the guy's like, oh, yeah, I've just had this lift. So can you just wait there for a second? I was like, oh, shit. So I sort of had to wait another five minutes. And it was like, I just want to get up. Just get me up to safety, which it was also. But um, I love what I do. But that concept of going into a different industry, and like you said, the fatigue stuff that we've done, and we've learned and we've done it in tunneling and we've done it in, you know, the I don't know if you guys watched um the Mayfair, the Great Mayfair Hotel, which is I haven't seen it yet. Spoiler alert, they build they build a fantastic um basement. <laughs> <laughs> but they actually to build the reason Claridge's was able to build that basement was because the Claridge's owner had this bonkers idea, but then McGee's effectively project manager and engineer was even more bonkers that it could be done amazing he came out of retirement and they used miners to build the basement because he looked at it and said you cannot keep an existing hotel operational and standing safely while you dig a basement and not moving if you just do traditional basement digs so they and they talk through it. The first episode's probably the most interesting, and then the second starts looking at the fit out. But they talk through the technical element of how they dug all these little shafts, and it is miners doing it. Yeah. And it's crossing that. I I think it was years ago as well, the last IOSH conference. I've forgotten the guy's name, but um he's at the at the Merlin group and he came and talked about the smiler incident. Yeah. And he talked about the fact that after the Smiler incident, they realised they couldn't just be inward looking. They had to be outward facing. And they went to the aviation industry to go, how do you do this? Yeah. And again, thinking about that, if you look at the level of investigation after aviation incidents, you know, because the other thing that I, we don't kill or harm people in new and unique ways. Yeah, it's the same old ways. We keep doing it the same way and I I accept when I say this I do not know the details so I'll put that caveat out there but I was genuinely so angry for about a week when I heard about the fatality at Hinkley so so Mm -hmm. angry because it there wasn't anything in there that one went do you know what this was a new type of plant or this was a new type of it wasn't 
Yeah. Tail as all as time. Yeah. It was plant people. Yeah. And, and that's the bit that I can't get around that we've got all of this legal privilege and we've got this corporate reputational stuff and company um, confidentiality and all of that. And yet we talk about corporate social responsibility and being a caring employer and being just. And it's yeah. like, so why are we not learning? You know, because, why... because we don't share. Not yeah. like not like aviation does. No. Now, obviously, aviation were I think were they mandated to end up like sharing? I think, yeah, I think there is something mandated that yeah, because it, so... it's the same in rail as well. If there's a major rail incident, mm. there is a system that will mm. take the learnings of the investigation, fire it to all of the Tox and Fox in mm. the UK, train operating company and uh, freight operating companies in, in the UK. So, and rightly else, so, right? Like all other like construction companies are all like private entities and others. They just, they don't, it's like, like you say, legal privilege, shut it, come down, nobody say a fucking word. But it's also those that you, so you're talking about rail, etc. How many of those then take that learning? How many go, right, that talk up in Scotland had this incident. So have we done an audit? Have we done an inspection? Have we, you know, like five years time, mm. have we done that? And are we still doing it? Um, on, again, when I was on HS2, we were speaking to one of our contractors and said, you wrote this best practice guide at Crossrail. You are the author of this. This isn't us. This wasn't Crossrail. You authored it. Are you implementing this best practice guide on this project? And they're like, I don't think we are. Stop. No. You authored it. It is your organizational document. Why? Why is it not being rolled out? Why is it not being used on every single project? Oh God. I mean, it dives into that bigger thing about um drives me mad about whether you're doing safety to comply or whether you're yes. doing safety to change. Mm. And actually, lots and lots of people do a very good investigation because it probably looks good in the aftermath in from in terms of liability and defense and all that sort of thing so that we do stuff, really yeah. good things we come up with great guidance but the guidance there is it, they're doing it from a compliance headspace i need to yes. comply i need to be seen to do the things and i always give this lovely example of um the difference between compliance and and change or care is your policy says you will report an incident you will have an investigation and you say, right, is there a report form? Yeah. Is there an investigation form? Cool. Yes. Anywhere in your review of those, does it say about the quality of the investigation, whether there was immediate underlying and root cause and whether root cause was changed and not just locally, but holistically, if you're going to go all the way through? Yeah. Typically, no. People tend to say, I've got my two documents. They yeah. don't look at the quality and they it's compliance. Tick, we've done it. But actually, Absolutely. if you're looking at an event genuinely with a mindset of I must like you said you're angry we must learn from this event we must change something and not just for the one event but for everybody that's real change but the majority of I don't oh god saying big things now I think lots and lots of health and safety is viewed from a compliance mindset we have to do a b and c because the book says or because it looks like the right thing to do we never dig underneath and say, did it help? Was it quality enough? We, we don't, yeah, we don't do the aftermath and kind of go, right, well, we've investigated, we've done these actions. Yeah. Has, has it had an impact three months down the line, six months down the line? What has happened? Yeah. Knee jerk reaction, we have an incident. What's the first thing we do? Toolbox talks. 
Still, oh, okay. That there, there's not enough time because I swear <laughs> to God, I'll blow my top about two box talks. And I think all... we need to bring it back around to our original. So the original question yeah. was, how how do you change sectors? Yeah, which I yeah. think Crystal will come back to you on. But Ray, what like what is your dream sector? Yeah, uh, you 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 give yours and then I'll give mine. And then Crystal give yours. Oh, jeez, that's a really interesting one. What is my dream sector? My gut reaction is that I'm in it, is, is major infrastructure, major mm. projects. Nice. Um, and there's a reason behind it, because it is it because it's so big, I genuinely believe that we have the time, the money, the quality and the resource to be able to impact change. What I've witnessed, having worked in slightly smaller organisations and also the supply chain, is that the change that we implement at that level, at the mega projects level, takes between 10 and 15 years to filter down mm -hmm. to industry level. So not, you know, we're, we're making the change at that level. What we're not working hard enough to do is then impact the supply chain and impact the other industries. That's where we need to work harder. What about you, Elisa? Dream industry. Industry sector aviation me too oh i fucking love it but yeah. like because it is terrifying there's people flying around in little tubes in the sky <laughs> big tubes in the sky um yes. i would i i find it fascinating and all the just the they just go so hard on like the human factor stuff and all yeah. that i don't think anybody does safety the way aviation, aviation does, safety. does safety i'm just yeah. like so like shout out to anyone hi um like I'm around. This is Lisa Lynch. She is a very, very good safe professional. I'm fucking class. What's stopping come, you? Come chat. What's stopping you? Uh, oh, Jesus, Ray. Again, we don't have time. We don't have time. That's another <laughs> podcast. Why not? Yeah. I actually wrote Why Change. Uh, so mine would be um, aviation. But I think if, if I was going to do one more walk, working for a corporate before like retirement, it would be aviation for sure. Mm. But I think where I actually... Um, probably see myself is I would really like to do chain like I'd like to work with any sector that really wants to change I would I would love to be part of an organization that then goes in and it has whether it's a you know rail company a, a aviation company whatever and just says this is broken mm -hmm. <laughs> and we're gonna throw our hands up and say we really, really need some help digging into the why. Why are we doing it? Why are we here? How can we learn? How can we share? Um, and that just drives back to my like internal purpose, which is I want to make the world a safer place to work so as much as I can help possible. But if there was um, like a sector to bust into, mine would be the same, which is just like nobody gets the behavioral stuff. Nobody goes as deep into why, how, when, mm. um, and the root of the root of the root cause than aviation so um i figured but i it, i don't know if this is this is a really interesting thing because i i wrote why change then next to your name there ray when you were talking about you think you're really working in it and i wonder whether sometimes people try and move sectors because they feel like they should like if you actually are loving it mm. is there something in the peer pressure or in what other people are doing that makes you think maybe i should be doing this so when you're writing the cv you're in the interview there's something kind of underlying in you which is like Am I all in? Do I really want this? Or is it because I feel like I should be trying something different? I think that's a really valid question. For me, it was earlier on in my career, 
it was a genuine I, I fell into construction yeah. and I, I fell into my role at Crossrail and there was a genuine desire to kind of like okay I've done I've tried I've done that for two and a half years that's brilliant now I want to go and do something else I want to go and do something else yeah. and that's when I was meeting the barriers mm. I believe and I know someone said to me that you know we shouldn't say we've been fortunate because we've worked hard to get where we are so I've worked hard to get where I am through all the roles that I've had and I've actually loved all of them Mm -hmm. I've worked in the industry where I you know industries where I've thrived and loved all the big projects and the changes that we can impact I do know though there are people out there that either are in an industry they're not quite happy with or they're looking out and going oh my friend's got another job there or this person's got this job now there is a little bit of this window dressing which we see on all forms of social media Mm -hmm. And I find the best example of this is event sector. Before I really got to know people in events, I used to love it. That would have been my, that's the industry that I want to go into, events. And then the more I've spoken to them, the more I realise that that is, broadly speaking, an industry where it is about compliance. It's like, does it tick the box? Yes, because we are doing Beyonce's concert, whether you like it or not, or we're putting on that show, that race, that football match, whatever it is, it's going ahead. Yeah. Yeah, there's no questions. And, you know, the the hours are long, the salary is poor because you should be grateful you're working for this big brand, which is, yeah, not something I'm used to doing. Thanks very much. So actually learn, so sometimes it's more about, that industry looks brilliant. But then if you, even if it's talking to someone in that industry and you go, oh, not everything that shines is is gold type yeah. thing. It's that knowledge of, you don't know what you don't know. So until you talk to other industries, to me, it was probably those conversations, those rejections and doing the roles that I'm doing. It's gone, no, no, I really love, I love talking to engineers. I love value engineering and design management and I love designing at risk yeah. um something we started doing at enabling works was actually saying these are your two options so if we do this option it may cost x amount more or the same it might take a bit longer but here are the risk hours that we've reduced as a consequence of doing that so yeah. actually demonstrating that this whatever method that you're going to do you're now demonstrating the benefits of it you know we've we've taken out your manual handling we've reduced um people's exposure to dust and noise we've reduced your work at height and suddenly you kind of go oh yeah i'm seeing tangible benefits yeah i think so to, to bring it right round to the key question ray which was like how do you bust and elisa you'd brought us nicely back on track uh, to the key question, which is how do you change sectors in safety? I think some of it that you were touching on there, Ray, is exactly it. Um, But I'm going to start one step before showcasing your talent and making sure you really do showcase your talent. And that is to really want it. And that is either trying something different. It has to be, you know, I really want to be in aviation, rail, whatever. It can be changed. I want different. I want to be challenged and, and pushed but you have to really want the change. Um, And I think that takes a couple of things is wherever you are, you should be being stretched in a positive way, really pushed and developed, and you should be loving it. If it's missing any of those or all of those, it's definitely time to change. And that could be jobs, not necessarily sectors, but really want to, um, really want to change sector. That's step one. Um, 
the next thing that I would say, and this is, I, I never did this and I, I definitely missed this trick, but people do it to me all the time. And that's reach out is networking, right? I yeah. absolutely hate it. It makes <laughs> me feel sick in my mouth. Um, and it was Anna Keen. Love you, Anna Keen. If you're listening, um, she said to me once in a, like a coaching session, <laughs> how do you feel about networking? I was like, don't do it. Hate it. Blah. This was about eight years ago. Um, and she said, oh, cool. Great. So who knows who you are then? Mm. Yeah. And I was so offended. I was like, <laughs> well, no one, but that's why you have a CV and that's why you write in. She yeah. was like, yeah, just so you know, that's not how decisions are made. Typically not how recruitment is done or sifting. You have to be, when you are a thousand people applying for one job, Yeah, it, it really helps for somebody to know, oh, Crystal Danbury, I know that name. And I know something to do with Crystal Danbury. So she's like, good luck with the no one knowing you sort of, um, yeah. you know, mic drop moment. And she said, look, just try it. Just absolutely get out there and try it. And I did. Um, and I found it very, very successful once you're doing it and not doing it in a dry way, which is like I would just go grab a decaf cup of coffee and hide in the corner and hope no one actually spoke to me. Be like, I went to a networking event. Yeah, but no, I went. Yeah. <laughs> Did you actually speak to anyone? Did you learn anything? Did you shake anybody's hand and say, where do you work? That sounds really cool. Did you actually meet anyone? Mm. Um, and then the other type of networking, which happens to me all the time and I really love, is I get young talent from many, many sectors or points in their career that just ask if they can have half an hour. Can I have half an hour? I'd love to know about retail or I'd love to know about safety. I'd love to know about leadership or I'd love to know about your biggest project. Can you just... Can I, can you spare half an hour? Mm. And these are, I'm like, what a bloody good idea. LinkedIn has your safety professionals. It has your directors, your heads of your CEOs, your MDs. It has all your sectors. Join the groups, start a conversation. It's right there built for us. Um, That whole personal brand thing, I think is, and that's, I I actually gave that advice to someone the other day because I'd put, them in touch with someone to talk to us you know this isn't my it wasn't safety so so this is not my sector talk to this individual I've already primed them they're expecting your call yeah um followed it up six to eight weeks later and I said yeah how did you get oh I didn't uh, you know I sort of spoke to them but they didn't seem really keen I said well what did you do so I just had a general coffee so yeah they're they're like super busy yeah (laughs) come ready come ready Yeah. yeah And what you're is way- it you want? You know, yeah. have your question ready. Have your query ready. What do you want to get out of it? What do you want to learn? Just have that. And I suppose that's the advice that if I look back that I'd give myself 10 years ago, because I, I will be honest, I was brilliant at getting mentors. I could approach both of you, people that are more senior to you. I, I was that person. I could happily go up to you and go, oh, can I grab it now? Can I have coffee? And in my head, me having a coffee with you would mean that you would fix all my problems. You would get me the job. You would tell mm. me. But I would never ask the question. I'm expecting you to solve all of my questions without me asking them because you should know that's why I've asked you for coffee. Yeah. And it happened a number of times. And you go, these mentoring relationships aren't working. This networking isn't working because I hadn't gone in yeah. with a very specific. And now, I'm a lot more focused on who I reach out to and yeah. how, and I take that time to prepare mm. and go in with a targeted question, a targeted response, a targeted request, yeah. and all of a sudden it opens all these doors. Yeah, 
I think that whole, like, go on, Elisa. Well, what I was going to say, and it's on that whole networking thing as well, but also is is pay it forward. Like, mm. that's a huge thing of like, I saw this thing on LinkedIn the other day, saw this really cool company that I know, and they're recruiting for specific roles. And then I just happened to see somebody in safety going, I'm looking to change tack completely. I want to go into this. And I was like, fucking psh, yes. Yeah. And uh, so message the CEO, message your one going, should like, should we link you guys up? And they're like, oh, yeah, great. I don't know. Nothing might ever come from it. Yeah. But if you see the opportunity to connect people and you don't benefit from that at all, do it. Yes. Do it. Keep everyone. Don't be precious. Yes. And then don't feel the need to go look at me. I'm so brilliant because. Like I just did broadcasting it on a podcast. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean it's the, it's the look at me can someone take a selfie of me giving this beggar 20 pounds or oh, stop oh god there's no time because I will fucking go hard on that <laughs> but it, it's right it's do it for the right ethical reason do which is you right change somebody's actual life and also the other really uh, the interesting thing is don't, don't I would say if you're if someone's asking for that half an hour a do prime them and do prep them because some of these mm. are young people coming in, don't quite have a handle on the network thing yes. yet. Tell them to come with their question. Have an idea of what you want to talk to me about, but also yeah. be really open to learning something because um, there is a young lady called Maya who I have time with every so often and she is an apprentice lawyer and she is phenomenal, by the way. And she asked to have coffee with me and coffee again and she was talking to me about writing a book. And I was like, oh, I started writing a book. And she said, yeah, this is how I've done it. This is how I've structured my time. And I'm like three quarters of the way through it. And I was like, oh, three quarters <laughs> of the way through it. And it's like four seconds after she started, she was like already there. And I was just, and I then was interesting. I was like, how have you been so productive? You've got social life. You've got the, you know, a major study going on, full-time job. All the, and she was just sharing the things that she does that she has, because yeah. she is like, 15 years younger, 10 years younger than me, she learned in a different way at school. They have got different technology and ways of learning. Absolutely. It's helped me. I've just been like, fantastic. Like I learned something from her. Um, So yeah, I think the pay it forward, be open, but go and have those coffees um, and really just like suss out the industries that take your fancy because you don't want to be stuck then suddenly in an industry that you're like, oh, this is a bit... Yeah, because yeah. the grass the grass is always greener, isn't it? Yeah, like, get always. that inside information. Yeah, yeah, I think, and that's it. It's really interesting about the one thing I learned um, when I was managing a team. I had someone in my team that was relatively, you know, this was probably their second grown up job, so to speak, and it was a really simple thing. They'd been on holiday for two two and a half weeks, and they came back, and there was this the first day back, which was still their annual leave. They were like, "I've got to go through my emails, blah blah blah." And it was like, "Well, no, stop. Today's your day of leave." So, so it made them stop. Next day, I said, "Right, I've sent you an email. Read that email first. Don't read anything else. You've got to read that." So they go, "Oh my god, what's going on?" And actually, it was when I'd spoken to them, I realised that one thing they'd never learned, because no one had ever told them, was how you manage an inbox when you come back out of leave. Yeah, so master leave. Hundred... <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> but it was that. I, I don't do that. Do you know what I mean? It was that, right, sort your emails. So have you got an email from your boss or anyone senior yep. that they need dealing with? Then sort it. To me, this is how I do it, you know, subject matter. Because you'll probably have 15, which are an email chain. So read the top one 
And then do you still need to do anything? Because if you read the first one first, you'll start responding. And then by the time you work your way up, you're like, oh, damn, I didn't need to do it. done. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, again, all these tips and tricks that we've probably taken for granted. And it made me feel really old. (laughs) (laughs) That's the whole pay it forward, pass it down. Like, if you can do both of those things. Absolutely right. That there is a generation of people that are now approaching us or working with us that haven't got this. And it is our job to kind of recognise it and not take for granted. It's like, look, you're going on leave for two weeks. Book book, Book half a day in your diary. Because I say to people, if you've been away for two weeks or more, book your first day back as annual leave. So it's not annual leave, but it looks like you're on annual leave. Give yourself that day to catch up on your emails, catch up on your to-do list, yeah. allow yourself to breathe. Don't feel like you're going to come back to hundreds of emails that you then need to do something with and have a nine o'clock meeting. Yeah, But it's stuff that we've learned. Yeah, and I think that that's where the network thing is is really helpful, not only networking internally, you know, in oh. your organisations and out. Um, so uh, the other two things on my mind then, so the really want it, the networking thing. Um, now, this is counter, and this is just my view, and please give me um, your view, and Elisa, tell me if you've done anything different when you've done yours as well. Um, and Ray, the, I, tr- I don't make my CV bespoke to the organisation. I make it bespoke to the job description, fine, but I don't make it like focus on that I am a construction expert or I am a, I mean, I couldn't do it anyway because I've chopped, but I make it, I focus on risk or culture change depending on what the job description is really talking to. Do you want me to be a change agent? Yes. Do you want me to simplify? I bring the things in the CV alive Um in relation to what I'm reading in the job description and what I really, really think they want. Yes. And typically I will also phone, whether it's the organization or the company um, or the, the agency and just say, you know, what really switches them on? Like, what are they really after? They're going through major transformation at the moment. What are the challenges? And I will talk to those in a CV. So I like to strip the, I am a construction expert. If I don't want to work in construction, yeah, I, I pull it right back up. Um, and then really showcase I always have on my CV don't know about you guys key skills at the top so just like bullet points of like several things that I'm very good at and then under each role really summarize roles I have key achievements and those key achievements will always talk to what that job description wants me to do um and then the last last one is always apply doesn't matter if you don't think you're going to get it doesn't matter if you've never worked in the industry does not matter always apply um because the worst thing that can ever happen is that somebody knows your name that's it that's literally the worst thing that could ever happen so that they I would think... be my my four things want it network make your cv really um applicable to the job description and then always apply your cv and i would agree with map it to the job description yes you send the exact same cv oh. to another like your cv should be different for every job you apply for yeah. And it. the cover letter. Yeah. I don't know. Sure. Look, it's 2023. A cover letter is still a thing, but I've, but I've never done a cover letter. That's the one thing I have. Oh, I smash done. a cover letter. Oh, you're going to hire the shit out of me when you read my cover letter. <laughs> oh, I've no doubt about that. But then equally, I've got all my jobs without a cover letter. So I sit back. There you go. Yeah. So I think I do get, the CV thing, I do get. You're right. I don't tailor it to the company. Because it's so easy to go on to a company website, and I'll say Sainsbury's just for you know, safety. Um, 
you kind of go, oh, what are their key words? And, yeah, and you start throwing it, and it, it then becomes, it's that too many cooks almost in your CV because you're trying to match Sainsbury's values and the job values and then your own value. And it's like, oh, this is just a mishmash of things. And that, I think that's where you end up. I think so if anybody is doing that, especially if you're new to the CV job description applying scenario, if you are trying to be too clever with your application, it will look so staged. Um, It probably won't get through anything. I would rather have somebody really passionately oozing passion for, I have done these roles and I loved it and I changed these things and this is why I changed my job and I went to this job because of that. And if it's just a person telling me about why they're great and yeah. why they're going to be great here, 100%, even if your format is dry, whatever it is, there's no cover, you're getting in. You're 100% yeah, sitting in front of me if one, you care. The one thing I would say on that as a caveat is sometimes on junior roles and sometimes in, even in senior roles, our role is difficult. It's not measurable. So it's really difficult because I know on CVs, they talk, often talk about demonstrate what you've delivered, mm. and particularly when you're starting out and you're an advisor and you're sort of working your way up. You sit there and you kind of go, if you, if you follow the let, follow the rules to a T, you almost feel like a failure because it's like, well, I was an advisor. And it's almost bringing it back and going, no, forget what they're telling you. What did you actually do? Think back. Because actually in that job, even as the most junior advisor, you may have led on an investigation. It might have been a really basic one, but you led on an investigation. You led on site visits. You led on it. Talk yeah. about what you did and why and what you learned from Advocate it. Advocate for yourself. Showcase exactly. your achievements. Because sure. I was talking to a friend who's a civil engineer, and I said for her, it's really easy to go, you know, because she she's project manager under the NEC3 contract. So she can talk about how she achieves things to time, budget and cost. She can talk about the delivering to programs. She could, I said sometimes in safety roles, in a lot of the safety roles that I've done, I don't have a safety budget. It's it's managed in a different way in infrastructure projects. Yeah. I it, this So this is a really interesting thing, isn't it? That whole back to the agency piece. Um, I got a call before I joined OpenReach. Um, from an agency who I will never, ever use, ever. Um, asked me what I wanted to do, said I was ready for a move, all the things. Um, and asked me for salary expectation, which A, by the way, I don't ever share because no. it's nothing to be discussed until you've had a job offer. Yeah. Um, and I think I was walking somewhere really quickly and I, I saw the ballpark figure and he said, and I think it must have slipped out. He said, well, you're not worth that. And I said, oh, excuse me? And he said, well, I'm looking at your CV and you've never managed a budget. I said, well, not directly because I've worked for organizations have a central part. And if you want something, you go and you yeah. say, I'm doing a thing. Um, yeah. And he was like, you will never achieve that having never managed a budget. And the next job that I got was open reach with a 92 million pound budget. Like, okay. I think I don't. Yeah, don't let somebody say that a hole is a hole. If you don't believe it is and you feel like you can do the the job, just ignore. And if somebody tells you you're not worth something and you know you are, advocate for yourself. You know I, what you're worth. Yeah, I think that's um, a nice point to round off on because we've, yeah. we've kind of come through that and it's come up a few times. If you are 
hell bent on changing sectors, advocate for yourself and just give it a lash. Uh, yeah, totally yeah. use LinkedIn because I mean when I when I first started doing IOSH and this does link to I reached out, I'd never met any of these people. I reached out to Chesington, I reached out to BBC, to ITV, to Harrods, yeah. um, to Eurostar to host site visits. And this was just site visits through IOSH. It's like, hi, I'm part of the IOSH committee. Um, would love to do a cross-industry site visit. And people were like, uh, yeah, what's one of them, please? Got engaged and all of them held site visits and they loved it. But it was that talking, opening up. And a lot of these people I'm still very much in touch with. So yeah. advocate for yourself. Go and find people on LinkedIn. Don't go in with a... Chris, I know, I know you, but if I didn't, and I kind of link you in and kind of go, oh, hi, can I grab half an hour of your time? And there's a chance that you'll look at my, because you will look at my profile and go, okay, she's not an 18 year old starting off in the industry. I expect her to come with specifics. Yeah. And I then come and have coffee. Hi, how are you doing? I've looked at you, see, you know, I've, I've followed your career. It's brilliant. So, you know, yeah, tell me a bit more. You're like, what? Yeah. It, it's such a broad question. Tell me more. Yeah. It is. I'll tell you what. So it, it's probably a nice, a nice point to because we could we could talk about it forever, <laughs> right? Hundred percent. We could talk about it forever. But I I feel like what we've what we've probably done with the key question, just to to round it up and finish off, is um there's there's sort of a couple of really key points in there really. So how do you change sectors? So according to us, which is just Ray, Crystal, and Elisa. So these are our thoughts. The advocate for yourself, one hundred percent. You got to want it. You got to network. You got to make that CV fit the job beautifully and really showcase your achievements and really always apply. Absolutely. So I think that probably answers uh, or is an answer to the question, Ray. Um, yes. So thank you so much for joining us on Speak. It has been a real pleasure. And um, me, and yeah. any aviation people listening out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely um but yeah so um thank you very much for joining us everybody i hope you really enjoyed um the discussion i think we did so as always please remember this is unedited open and a learning space and we hope you join us next time thanks yeah thank